I'm encouraged by the Holy Spirit to give you this word. And I'd like you all to please turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. As the Lord is continuing to minister to us this morning. We began to sing, How excellent is His name. Excellent in all the earth. We, we sang, Every praise is due our God. We're declaring that He's worthy of all praise and exaltation. Every breath we breathe is an opportunity for praise. Do you understand that? You ever wonder why maybe God caused the function of the human body to have to take breath in and breath out? Could it have been that with every breath we take in is the potential to praise His name? So that literally every breath you take is a reason to praise God. It gives wind to you for you to speak the voice in the name of Jesus. Instead of frivolous words. In fact, Jesus said you will be accountable for every word you have spoken. Every breath that you've exhaled and caused a sound for, you'll be uh, have to give an account to God for it. What if we began to consider that with every breath we'd praise God? You'd say, well, that's kind of silly. But it's, it's an exaggeration or a hyperbole to show how worthy God is of praise. That we live and move and have our being through every breath. And He deserves that praise. And this morning, I want to show you the extent of His love for you. The magnificent, overwhelming love that God has for us that we cannot comprehend. And if we would even begin to comprehend, we wouldn't be sitting right now. We'd be on our face or we'd be shouting and dancing. We couldn't contain ourselves. But I'm asking you to just for the next few minutes while I share this with you. After that, do what you like. Psalm 139. Let's go there. And I'm going to read out of, today I'm reading out of the NIV. Uh, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know me when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. The psalmist is trying to express how well he is known by God. So he says, whether I'm sitting or whether I'm standing, whatever posture I am in, God is fully aware of who I am. As a matter of fact, you know every thought that I think. You're familiar. This is what I love. You are familiar with all my ways. That word ways encompasses a lot of activity that you and I do. My ways happens to be the way I think. How you process thoughts. How many of you know that God knows how you process thoughts? He knows that when He speaks a promise to you, it's got to go through a whole tunnel and chute and ladder and steps and walls to get over because He knows your way. He knows your ways and how you're going to process His promises to you. I love you. Well, you say that, but... He knows your ways. He is so patient with us. He knows what it's going to take to get to your heart. He knows the way you think. He knows the way you respond. He knows the ways of your resistance to Him. And He'll be patient. 
He knows you got to throw a tantrum. How many of you remember that with your kids? Got to tell them to clean their room. This is going to take about a half hour, 45 minutes, just to get over the initial shock that they have to do this. <laughs> right? Time for bed happens this way every night. I know your ways. Get ready. Right? He knows our ways. Do you, do you, do you understand? You're no surprise to him. He knows everything about you. He knows what makes you resist him. He knows what makes you love him. And he pours himself out for you with your lying down, your getting up. He tried to come up with ways and, and, and postures and attitudes. He knows my going out. He knows my lying down. He knows when I sit, when I rise. You've searched me and you completely know me. And here's the amazing thing. You still love me. There are times I'm angry with him. I have a hissy fit with God. I tell him I don't like the way he's doing things. He knows my ways. He'll wait for me to be done. Are you done? And he hugs me. He holds me till I'm done with my tantrum and my crying because he knows that's really what I need. He disciplines me. Sometimes I get a spanking from God that hurts and makes me cry. And he knew he needed to break something in me so that I'd run back into His embrace instead of run away from Him. He knows our ways. Before a word is on my tongue, You know it completely, O Lord. Before I can even speak a word, He knows the thought process that it generated from what part of my flesh and being, what part of my thinking and way that I am, that I would process a thought by which I would speak a word. He knows all of that within us. There is no mystery within us that God doesn't know. He knows everything. And He says, You hem me in. Behind and before me, You've laid Your hand upon me. That is awesome. When I consider... Well, I sound like Psalm 8. The moon and the stars. The but when I consider out of all the people on planet earth and he put his hand on me he put his hand on you the god of the heavens placed his hand upon you to impart glory impart assurance to impart love to impart forgiveness to impart healing god put his hand on you god has called you out of all the people of this earth he has chosen you He's elected you and called you His own. He's called you by name. And He's given you a new name. A name that is dear and near to Him. The world's called you names all your life. Your parents gave you a name. But there's a name that God knows the deepest part of who you are that is going to describe the, the depths of your being. He knows that. He put His hand on you and He called you forth. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We need to spend our time on that verse. Americans are, are so literal and we're so reason-based, we have to under, understand everything about God, the Bible and its theology and everything else, how everything works. We systematize everything with God. We even take and systematize the mystery of the Holy Spirit. Why, you can heal in seven steps. Right? 
Speak in tongues if you follow these 13 principles and points that I have discovered. We love to systematize it. We love to put the mystery and the awe and the glory of God into a box that we can put in our pocket. And I like what he said here. This knowledge is too lofty. It's too wonderful. I cannot attain it. There is a glory and a beauty in God that you and I have not even touched an ounce of it yet. That the psalmist says there'll be a day when I can gaze upon your beauty. It will take eternity for me to simply look at you in wonder and consider my life all the way back from when I was born to see the beauty of God and for all eternity to recognize what I couldn't even fathom. God, we cannot be so content in our faith. We have got to be searching the riches of His glory. Oh, He's so wonderful. I'm sorry, if I get a little excited, it's because I'm in love with my God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, Sheol or hell, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle from the far sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I go to another country. If I leave the the atmosphere of earth into the heavens, if I dig a hole to the depths of the core of this planet, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Paul went into that and he went into philosophy and he began to expand height nor depth nor width. He began to consider all the physics involved of all dimensions, spirit, angels, life, death, uh, time. He went into time and said past, present, future. He just went, you can't escape it. God is all in all. For all. He's everything. And why can't we escape Him? Because your hand's going to guide me. You can't go anywhere where He won't guide you with His love. Verse 11, if I say, surely darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me so that I can't see, but even the darkness will not be dark to you. He's not afraid of the dark. I am. Put that not only in the literal sense, but in the figurative sense. What you cannot see, the dark of the future. What you do not know in the decisions and the things people have said to you. And and what may come. There's darkness we can't see ahead. But it's not dark to Him. He knows the beginning from the end. He's got this. He'll guide you, but we have to trust Him. Don't you understand? That's why the world out there believes in palm readers and psychics and reads their horoscopes. They're afraid of the dark. They're in the dark. And because they're afraid of the dark, they want to see. So they think a horoscope's going to bring some light. They think a fortune cookie's going to bring some light. They think a palm reader's going to give them some kind of light. It's a fake light. He is the light. You'll never have to wander in darkness, he says. I will guide you. My hand is on you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now here I want to get to, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you because how I'm made. I praise you 
When I consider me, I praise you. Get that. I praise you when I consider me. Do you know what? Even when you spend your time considering who you are, it should cause you to praise Him. I mean, when you think about that, there is not a human thought that should not be praising God. There is not a human being that should not be praising God. Because when they have a nice scoop of ice cream, mmm, that tastes good. Give praise to God. He gave you taste buds. When you see beauty, give praise to God. The whole world should be praising God, but they're in darkness. And when you consider yourself, you should be considering Him. And this is what I'm talking about. The praise for Him is continuous. It should never cease. Even when we're in our own thought life, it's about Him. It's, you're not about you. You're about Him. How crazy is that? It's all about Him. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know the full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Now listen, today, January 19th, is Right to Life Sunday. And as churches were considering the abortion issue, we're considering the lives that were lost, but sanctity of life now in our lifetime is not just about abortion. It's about euthanasia. It's about slave trafficking. It's about all the human evil that is being thrust upon other humans. And there's only one voice in the earth that believes in the sanctity of life being created in God's image, and that's the people of God, the Christians. We cannot be silenced. We've been muzzled. I, I was blown away and, and so amazed at my brother Bob Johnson. Friday, we were at the Roseville school system invited to, to partake in the school board, school teachers, and clergy luncheon. The Roseville school system invites the clergy into the school to come and to participate and to connect. And so I praise God for that. Out of the, uh, I think he's got a list of 100 churches that he invited, three churches showed up. We're there every year. So is Cornerstone Baptist and so is Evangel. Now, all the city officials are there. And so is the school board. And school members, it's a tremendous time where we get to uh, pray, speak of the Lord Jesus, and, and meet with these folks. But here's my story. Bob Johnson, um, a good friend, he's the senior pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Um, our congressman, Sander Levin, was there at the meeting as well. And Bob told me that uh, before the luncheon, he went up to uh, Sander Levin and he said, uh, um, hi, I'm Bob, Pastor Bob Johnson. And he said, I've written you a number of times. And he said, oh, okay, I don't remember anything. And he looked at, uh, is it Senator or Congressman? Senator. Senator Levin. He looked at Senator Levin and he said, sir, you must change your view on abortion. And he said, 
you must consider this. And uh, his response was, well, I hold a position where I have authority. I need to hear uh, people's points of view. And Bob said this. He said, yes, you hold authority, and you will be accountable for that authority before God. You must change your position. That's a man of God. That's a man of God. That's a man of God. The sanctity of life. That's what I'm talking about. Every life gives glory to God. There is not one thing that gives more glory to God than the human creation. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. And in us is the awe of God. And so we must claim the sanctity of human life, pray for that, and work towards that. Now let's get back to our point. Nothing was hid. I was woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. Consider that. All the days for me. Say that with me. All the days ordained for me. All the days ordained for me. Again, all the days ordained for me were written in your book. You're in the book. You're in His book. He's writing a diary about you. Now, let's go on and see what He says. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Now, if you read that at first glance, you'll see that what He's saying, how precious are your thoughts to me, O Lord. The sense of that in the Hebrew, in the the original writing is not, Oh, how precious are the crazy and wild extreme thoughts of God must be. But the context is, how precious to me are your thoughts concerning me. That's what the psalmist is saying. You you know everything about me. My coming, my going, my ways, my thoughts. And every thought you have about me is so precious. That's the point. This morning, when you woke up, God had thoughts of you all night long. Our high priest ever lives making intercession for you. Your name never came off his mouth. He was interceding. He can do that. He's eternal. He can be speaking your name and someone else's name at the same time. He is speaking your name. God has thoughts for you. We don't pray like that. We don't pray as if God's paying attention to us. We pray as if we have to get His attention. But He's been having thoughts of you continually. You're on His mind. Every need and every concern. He knew what you wanted before you asked. He knew everything about you. And He's concerned about everything about you. It's all about you in His heart and mind. Now, this is amazing to me. Psalm 56 says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? What I, what I consider here is you, you've, you've put these tears in a bottle and when we turn to the page that, that of the book where your name is written, there is the vial of all your tears. It's it's not gone unnoticed or unheard. 
Every tear you've ever cried, He knows why. And He's interceding for those things. Because every tear... Could it be that with every tear, He's going to show you every answer in every prayer He prayed? Why keep track of them? Why would He keep track of every tear? Now look at, come on, am I getting a little uh, exaggerated? I don't think so. In the realm of an eternal God, He can do all these things. The writer said, you know my tossings. I don't know how many of you have sleep apnea, but God's well aware of it. Roll over... Roll over, roll over. You know my tossings. You know, every time I roll over in bed. He had to search his mind. David had to search his mind to consider how awesome is the love of God that even when I roll over in bed, when the rest of the world's sleeping and I'm not even alert, you are. You are. And then when I'm crying, I can't keep track of all my tears. I cry at this and that and everything. and, and, And he... He keeps track of every single one of them. Is there anybody that pays that much attention to you? No. We can't, but He can. And He does. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus wanted you to understand this. In Matthew 10, 29, Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will, but the very heads on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. I'm a little slow and it takes me a while, but I do get there. And I got there on this verse this morning. I always thought that these were two examples that God cares about sparrows and he knows the numbers on your head. What I didn't do till this morning was bring those two together. When he says that no sparrow falls to the ground without the knowledge of God, and he says he's numbered the hairs on your head, how more important are you to him than the sparrows? Put those two together. So in other words, he knows whenever any sparrow lits or lights upon the ground, And He knows when every hair from your head falls upon the ground. That's why He put those two together. And that's why you're more precious. If He knows when a sparrow falls, consider this. When a hair on your head comes off in the brush or falls on your clothing or on the ground, He is aware of it. Keenly aware of it. That's how attentive He is to you. Come on. Really? Can't keep track of this. He does. He does. If we were to ask God for such a frivolous thing, we'd say, God, could you tell me what numbers this morning in the shower drain and on my hairbrush are there? He could give you a list. It's not that He knows how many, but that they are in fact numbered. Number 5,762 is in your brush in the drawer. And 6,747, 8, 9, and 10 are in the drain. (laughs) I make light levity because I want you to somehow, some way, stop 
everything you're doing and consider the love of God for you. Jeremiah 29, you know this verse quite quite well. Sorry, PJ. I won't let anybody know it was you. Just let me get out of Costco sooner tomorrow, okay? That's all right, my brother. You're a good man of God. Jeremiah 29, 11. Now we've all heard this over and over, but let's just take the time again to consider this love of God for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on Me and come and pray to Me and I will listen. You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. I will be found by you. What is important in this verse is its context. The context is that this is a letter written by Jeremiah to the exiles in Babylon. They were being disciplined by God. Even in God's discipline, by causing them to be evicted from the land that they were stewards of and were to properly bring Sabbath to every seven years, they refused. God put them in time out, took them out of their precious promised land, put them in a foreign land, and then wrote them a love letter and said, this is for your own good. This is so you'll finally listen to what I say and take my directives, but don't lose heart. I know the plans I have for you. I'm not going to harm you. These 70 years in Babylon are not going to destroy you. They're not going to hurt you. I know that spanking was necessary, but I love you. That's what he said to Laodicea. I may have to spit you out of my mouth, set you on the sidelines, but I love you. And he says, I know the plans I have for you. Israel, you are to prosper. And I'm not going to do harm to you. But I have written and I have esteemed that you're going to bring forth Messiah and you are going to fulfill the promise of Abraham. You're going to fulfill the law of Moses. You're going to fulfill the throne of David because through you, Messiah is coming to save the world. I have a plan for you. But right now, you're getting disciplined, my son. Parents, you understand what that feeling's like. You know what that is. And he said, but if you would seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. So what he was doing was disciplining them so that they would search their hearts. I don't know what you've been through, what has troubled you, what has caused calamity for you, but in the process of it, it was so that you would find your heart steadfast on Christ and Christ alone. So that when your heart is completely aimed at Him, you'll find Him. You'll find Him. And you'll find His mercy. The plans I have for you to prosper you and not harm you. To give you hope and a future. Every one of you here this morning, you have a hope and a future in God. He called you unto Himself. You're His. And He loves you.
Psalm 33.11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Psalm 19.21 Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. It's said that our lives are written in His book, which He has already created us to do. We're His workmanship, and He's already created us. He's written down our destiny. He's written down our purpose. He wants you to search your heart to find it so that you will praise Him and accept His will for your life and adore Him through it all. This is what God is saying to us. Now, we'll go to another verse that you well know. Thanks, Brandon. Romans 8, 28. We know. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now, this verse is very misunderstood. It does not say that everything in your life is going to be good. No, in fact, what it does say is that all things. So let's ask what the things are. All the things on planet Earth, there can be good things, there can be bad things. There can be evil things. There can be things that are just broken and horrible and terrible. He said all those things. So you list everything good, everything evil, everything sinful. You list it all. He said, in all those things, I'm going to work that for the good. Alright? And so that's a different story, isn't it? Because some of you have been molested. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have lost dear loved ones way too soon in your life. Some people have walked out on you. Lousy things have happened. So what's so good about that? Romans 8, 28. Jeez, what's that good about? No. All of that... He's going to work to the good of your life. He is going to take it and it's going to be redeemed in your life. In your life. We don't understand this, but He is so good. And we judge God according to what's happened to us. He said, don't judge me according to what planet earth does and what sinful people do to you and what sickness and disease and all these other things can do to you. Determine who I am by my revelation of my word. So there are evil and bad things that happen in our lives. Just because we love Jesus doesn't mean we're excluded from them. But what He'll do with them is bring an amazing testimony to bear. It will be awesome for those who are called according to His purpose. So He's saying whatever the devil can mess up, whatever you can mess up, whatever you fail at, whatever sickness and disease and poverty and what is stricken in this cursed planet can produce, I am going to make something good out of it for your purposes. Praise God. You know, there there are some things by themselves. What he says is he's going to work them all together for good. There are some things that apart from the, the mixture of them, they are in fact poisonous. There are some things that you groom with, things you eat with, that that if you took those separate ingredients, uh, too much of it, you'd be dead. But in the right mix together, it can work for you. 
Uh, there's things in my life that, that, that I wish never would have happened. I prayed they wouldn't have happened, and they did. Things that crushed my soul and my spirit. But with the grace of God and all that I've experienced in my life, that combined with what I've received from God has produced a good in my life that I would never change anything. If that was the only thing that happened in my life, I would have been busted and broken and no good to God over and over and over. But He, he mixed it. He brought all things together. All things in my life together to produce an amazing testimony that tempered me, grew me up, discipled me, gave me wisdom and compassion that I never would have had. But those elements apart could destroy us. But put together with God's love, it can in all things produce good. Amen. That's what he's doing. I close with this. All of this is unto the glory of Jesus Christ. Because we could get we could get a little bit narcissistic about this when we consider how much we're loved. How important we are to God. I mean, that's awesome. You can get caught up in that and think, I'm all that matters. When you read Scripture, it seems that way. He died for me. He intercedes for me. He does everything for me. He loves me. He's got plans for me. I'm in his book. All of this is done for one reason. So that we would turn to Him and glorify Jesus Christ for all eternity. Though we're the object of His love, it's so that it would invoke from us a depth of love for all eternity. A depth of gratefulness forever and ever. Can, can, you, can you spend time now doing that? Can you spend a, a half hour just thanking Him and con- praising Him and considering maybe an hour, maybe two hours, maybe a day, maybe a week. It's all for the glory of Christ. John says this, in 1 John 4.19, we love Him because why? He first loved us. We don't even know how to love. The only ability I have to love is because He's shown love to me. Now I know how to love. I'm in response to that love. That's the only reason I love. Look at the glory of your life is the glory of Christ. His, his glory is consider His constant intercession for you. Oh man, that deserves praise. His constant guidance and illumination in your life, that that deserves praise. His constant healing and guidance for you, that deserves praise. His judgment, His discipline and instruction for you, that deserves praise. Everything He bestows on you, His love, as you search it out and find how loved you are, all it can do is redound back to Him with a love from your own heart on being so grateful and what a great and glorious God He is. It says that the glory of Christ, in other words, the worthiness of Christ, the weightiness of His majesty, beauty, love, and splendor is so wonderful that there will be no need for light in the new heavens and new earth. His glory will illuminate everything. The whole reason you and I will be able to see 
in the heavenly realm and in the new creation is because the glory of light is the splendor that lights it. Revelation 21 says, there will be no need for the sun and the moon for the glory of the Lamb shall lighten that city. Come on, think about that for a minute. Walk out of your door in the new Jerusalem and go, oh, it's a, it's a glorious day. You're not going to say it's a sunny day. It's a Jesus day. The glory of Jesus is shining. It'll never grow dark. Isn't that awesome? You're not going to say, gee, I like the sun today. Well, you will, but it'll be S-O-N. It's all about Him. That glory will shine. And you'll feel the penetrating warmth. And that's His love on you. That's what's going to radiate on you eternally. And again, Psalm 27, 4, so to gaze, my heart's desire is to gaze upon the beauty of God. As I sit and see His throne and bask in His glory, I will for eternity look at the beauty, every angle of His beauty. The depths that search your soul, search your heart of Ah, oh, if I could do anything, I, I, all I want to do is exalt the glory of Jesus. And to get past our fleshly wants and needs and to understand how deeply loved and deeply cherished you are by this magnificent love of God, which should cause every one of us to say, Oh, God, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Stand with me this morning.